Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the ACC Now podcast. This is Final Four Week Edition number one. I'm sure we're going to have more as we get ready for the game of all games in the North Carolina Duke rivalry. I'm Steve Wiseman from the Raleigh News and Observer, joined by C.L. Brown. Uh, I cover Duke for the UNO. C.L. covers Carolina. You've heard us all year talking about our teams, going through their ups and downs. We are at the highest point of both teams' seasons. I think, uh, well, maybe not. Maybe Carolina's went over Duke and Cameron. Ah, we'll talk about that later. But this is a big deal. They're playing in the Final Four on Saturday night. Uh, CL, are you prepared? The the uh, basketball apocalypse has reached us. We are here. It is upon us. Um, yes, though. I mean, I, I think it's kind of funny. Hubert Davis uh, was asked after they beat St. Peter's. Somebody was trying to kind of look ahead to this game. And uh, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly how he said it, but basically he was like, we already went through this big (laughs) pomp and circumstance when, you know, we played at at Cameron for the regular season finale in Kay's final game in at home. So um, this this will just be on a national stage in the in the Superdome as opposed (laughs) to, you know, in front of nine thousand crazies. And 96 former Duke players, but anyway, (laughs) most importantly, uh, but that's right. Uh, They went through it and they handled it with flying colors. The Tar Heels did. They did. And I think it's, it's interesting um, that that game may be the turning point for both teams this year. Right. uh, Depending on how this thing plays out. The funny thing about, all of the buildup for this game is Kansas is looking pretty good, you know, especially since they added Remy Martin back in the lineup and he's healthy and he's kind of been an X factor. Cause I, I think if I'm not mistaken, he was, he is averaging like 17 in the tournament. Mm-hmm. I don't even think he was in double figures during the regular season. Right. It, it's kind of been strange. Cause it seems like there's a Rocky relationship with him and Bill self that was kind of interfering with him being in any kind of a flow earlier, but whatever it is, they've kind of got it worked out now. Um, I, I kind of, you know, sold my stock in Villanova uh, with the injury um, that they just had, but uh, yeah, this game, I think because of that game in Cameron for both teams made this final four run for both teams, even possible. Yeah, um, you know, it showed Carolina how good they could be. And, and you know that more than I do, but they, they you know, hadn't played at that level, you know, uh, consistently all year. And, and they they certainly found it uh, kind of a us against the world mentality and they took it and they ran with it. So um, from the Duke point of view, they, you know, a lot of times thought uh, they had more talent than other teams because most of the time they do. They have all these NBA guys on the team. And thought that when they put the hammer down, they could just flip the switch to go and they'd overwhelm teams. And, and a lot of times that was enough. One big run would, you know, bury some teams. And uh, a few times it didn't, like they lost to Miami and Virginia. We've gone over and over about that. But but that Carolina game was the first time you know, they were at home and they'd lost home games before. But but they really, they won on the run in the first half, the 14-0 run, got the lead at halftime. And Carolina came back within four, I think it was, or two. I can't remember. But then... In the second half, Duke got up nine points, and then again, Carolina came rushing back and took it over, took over the game. And you know, I think the Duke 
players thought, okay, we're up on these guys. They're just going to roll over and die. They're not supposed to win today. This is our day. This is our gym, whatever. And surprise to them, they didn't. <laughs> and teams don't do that. And at this point, especially in March, right? You have to, there's a different way to put away a game in March than there is in January. And I think Duke's players needed to kind of be slapped in the face and learn that that's the way it was going to be. And uh, it's really shown a difference in the way they finished games in the tournament here, you know, Michigan state, Texas tech, and then Arkansas on Sunday, Saturday. Car- Carolina was more than happy to provide the Will Smith <laughs> motivation <laughs> to their Chris rock. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. But I think you kind of mentioned it for Carolina, you know, um, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Statistically, they may have had another game like that during the year, but it definitely was the biggest game that they had ever trailed at halftime and came back to win in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it was shades of that against UCLA in the sweet 16 because UCLA, they pretty much controlled the game. I think they led for about 25 minutes of the game. And so they had a lead in the first half. They had a lead late in the second half. I think it was like a five-point lead. They kind of wrestled away. Uh, but and, and up to that point in Cameron, Carolina would kind of wilt, you know, when they were trailing. If you, you kind of got up on them a little bit, you know, it, it was pretty much like they weren't going to come back. And that, that was the first time it was like they really uh, fought back and dug deep and executed. I mean – the, the stat that stood out to me from, from that game in Cameron was that all five starters played all of the second half for one, but yes. they had one turnover. Like it was just like everybody was in sync. They knew what they had to do. And, you know, they closed that game out. They, you know, they carved them up. They carved up Duke in the second half. And yeah, I mean, they shot really well and one turnover. I think they scored over 50 points in the half, which is just against the team you know, any team, but, but Duke, the defense, they have a capable of playing. This is really a testament to how well Carolina played on offense. And, um, you know, since then Duke has, uh, they've used the zone more in the second half. Obviously they did that night. They use it all and, and they needed to, it's really become something that's helped them a lot, a lot. Uh, they used a little bit in the second half against Miami in the game they lost, uh, at home back in January. Uh, and they, there's a couple of the games that used it, but uh, this NCAA tournament run is where they've used it the most. It's really been like, okay, you know, the, the switching isn't working. We're not getting the cohesion we need and teams are getting too many easy layups and getting easy shots. And so in the second half, they're like, okay, we're going to throw the zone out there. Now that'll, and it, it, it works. It, it stops whatever's going on. It shocks the system enough of those opponents that it's allowed due to kind of get their footing again and take off and win. And, um, you know, against, uh, go ahead. Did they use that zone uh, against Virginia Tech in the uh, ACC championship? I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. Um, I, I was wondering about that. Just, I have to go back and look, but I don't remember that. Yeah. Just from a perspective of Virginia Tech had shooters, you know, yes. Uh, yes. Like, like multiple guys. Um and and at one point they were leading the league. I don't remember if they finished leading the league at three point percentage. But and that may be why they didn't, because they thought, well, yeah. they could shoot their way yeah. over it, you know. Um, 
Yeah, that's why I think it'd be uh, it'll be interesting if he tries to throw that at Carolina. Uh, right, if they're not having success in the man-to-man. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because obviously they did have success in the first game. Uh, but then Carolina's a different team now than they were then, obviously. And I think Duke thinks they're different. But it's been more of like a – it used to be, oh, the zone's a desperate desperation. Well, now I guess in some ways it is. But they were like they were up by five against Arkansas in the second half. After having like a 12-point lead, got down to five, 14 minutes to go. And he called timeout, and he put the zone out there, and Duke went on a 10-0 run. They just got stops. You know, Arkansas would get to the rim. He, yeah, they get to the rim, and Mark Williams would block it instead of being yeah. out of position. And it was like a, a tool in the toolbox. They said, okay, yeah. boom, we're going to throw this out there. It's almost like, poof, you know, we're going <laughs> to change everything and, and have it work. And, I mean, they're not going to catch Carolina off guard. I mean, but they shouldn't have caught Arkansas off guard because they did it against Texas Tech as well. And it really helped him finish off that game. Um, but it, and then they and then they'll go back to the man to man after that. Like that's what they did against Texas Tech when the players in the huddle with at the under four said, Okay, we got the lead, we're playing well. We're going back to man to man. And Kay listened to him. And what world are we living in? Where <laughs> <laughs> that's um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like <sighs> Did he do that once in in 2015 on their run to the title? It may not be zone and yes. but it was something that the players wanted. I kind of vaguely remember that. Well, they did play zone. Um, they had lost their first two games. They lost to um, NC State on the road, and then Miami blew them out at home, I think 92 to 78 or something. And then that next Saturday, they were going to play at Louisville. Louisville was a top 10 team at the time. Oh, yeah. uh, and they, they, they played zone. And they won by yeah. 10. I think it was a pretty easy win um, at Louisville, which kind of changed the – they didn't play much zone the rest of the season. They, they A little bit they do it, but it was just that one-time thing. They had to like – because they were having trouble again, cohesiveness on on defense. And uh, it kind of settled things down, and they got they got going again. So, yeah. 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 And then, of course, well, in 2018, they used a lot of zone when they had Wendell Carter and Marvin yeah. Bagley, right? You probably remember yeah. that more than I do. Which is kind of funny because you you would think all those athletes on that team they would they would have some lockdown, yeah, <laughs> to be able to play lockdown defense. But <laughs> I mean, I think that goes to I'm getting off track here, but I think that goes to having one and done guy, a bunch of one and done guys. Like you, you can't build that defensive cohesion that you know that defined kind of his teams in the nineties, right. right? And uh. <laughs> and I, and I think it's ridiculous if you slap the floor in the zone, but <laughs> you and Grant Hill agree on that. <laughs> you can't slap the floor if you're in the zone. It's not work. <laughs> yeah. but, but the the thing is, I feel like Carolina has also improved defensively. Where you know you think to some of their early season games against Tennessee and Kentucky, both of those teams score fifty four points in the paint. Like 54 points in the, in the paint. paint. Right. And and uh Wheeler, the five nine point guard, severe Wheeler for Kentucky, scored like I think 26 and 22 were all layups. Like it, it was it was absurd how easy he got to the basket. Yeah. But they've done a, a great job of you know of of tightening that up. Um Against UCLA, there were some times where Tiger Campbell got some nice drives. Um, he's like one of my new favorite players. I, I've seen him play before on TV, but just seeing him in person was a little different. Yeah. 
with the way, I mean, he's a smallish guard, but he, he knows angles. He knows, he knows how to play. Like he, that's cool. Play. But um, yeah, but Carolina has done, has done a much better job defensively and especially in crunch time when it, when it really counts, um, you know, after giving up the 25 point lead to Baylor in the, in the second round in overtime, Baylor shot one of 11. Yeah. Like, and that was with Carolina having to bring, uh, Justin McCoy and Dontrez Styles off the bench to fill in for Brady Manick and Caleb Love, um, uh, who you know had been ejected and got fouled out. So right, right. You know they 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 made a lot of strides. One one thing I think was interesting too that Sean May, uh, the assistant coach, talked about yesterday uh, or Sunday after they won was that uh, this team had finally kind of taken on the identity of Hubert Davis. Which is which is playing with a more passion and right. and kind of buying in to more more of the team, you know, team defense, team concepts on offense. Whereas before earlier in the season, I think there was a lot of individual play, and they didn't really uh, whether they didn't really understand or didn't really trust that. I don't I don't know the right way to describe it, but they weren't playing cohesively. And that's the key to everything uh, this time of year is uh, uh, figuring out how to do that because the, that that's how teams advance and move on is they have to have this togetherness that you think you spend a whole season building and uh, uh, sometimes it just goes away. And that's one reason why I've said that, that Duke is playing their best basketball, even though they played really well, they didn't lose a game in November and they beat Kentucky and Gonzaga along the way. Uh, until they they lost to Ohio State on November 30th. So they did they did they did lose a game in November. My point was they were playing really well in that start, and yeah. they um they hadn't been through enough yet to really know to really reach a higher level of play. You have to go through ups and downs and COVID breaks and learning how to practice again. And some Trevor Keel's getting hurt, Jeremy Roche going in and out of the lineup and all that. And sometimes it breaks teams. You know, I mean, we've seen really talented Duke teams not make it out of the first weekend. Right. So uh, some teams can't handle it. And, you know, I wasn't sure this team was going to, and I think inside the program, they weren't sure either. Yeah. Uh, You know, coming into coming out of Brooklyn and going to the ACC tournament or NCAA tournament in Greenville. uh, They didn't know what they were going to have. And, and uh, so when they got to the second game and they played Michigan state, I was one that was like, you know, this could be it. They could be going home. I really thought that was a strong possibility. And they were down five late in the game and they muscled back and won it. And, uh, and then they showed it again against Texas tech. So that's like two games in a row now where they were severely tested by, by veteran tough defensive teams. that are well-coached, which you're going to play in this tournament. And uh, you know, you, you're not going to run up against a, you know, a last place team anymore. You're done with that. You got to be on your game every night. And so uh, uh, that that togetherness is there, and uh, they found it again. They clearly found it again. Now they could lose it, if, you know, if Carolina, you know, shoots shoots lights out. If they try to throw the zone at him and Manic pours in threes and Caleb Love, then hey, that's the way it's going to be. But <laughs> but uh, but they're in a better place. They're 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 playing better than than I didn't know if they could get back to this point, but they did it. I feel like low key that Jeremy Roach is has been the MVP of their NCAA tournament. I mean, definitely not numbers wise necessarily. It's not like he's 
put up 20 a game or something like that. But I just feel like he's made plays, timely plays when they needed it. And, and he's also kind of directed things for him. Um, I, I, well, first of all, would you agree with that? Because obviously I wasn't watching every play <laughs> every second. I would. I was on another program today and I was asked, you know, kind of, you know, if there's going to be a big shot to make late in the game, who's going to do it? And I said, well, you know, Bancaro is going to have the ball a lot. But but I went another way and said, Jeremy Roach, he's made some huge shots. Uh, they wouldn't have beat Michigan State without Jeremy Roach. And they probably wouldn't have beat Texas Tech without Jeremy Roach. And that. If you'd have said that in the middle of February, nobody would have believed that that was, you know, because he was out of the lineup and all that stuff. And, uh, uh, but he is, he's found a game, uh, uh, a confidence on offense to shoot. Um, he's given them some defense at the top of that, you know, the top of the defense they didn't think, feel like they had with Keels. Who, they were really having trouble with that, uh, with him, you know, giving up blow buys in the Carolina game and, and Cameron's a big example. That's why they made the lineup change was de- for defensive purposes. And lo and behold, Roach starts, you know, sinking three pointers late in the game and making tr- incredible drives to the basket. I mean, strong veteran moves from a, from a sophomore. Uh, so big time, uh, big time addition there. And uh, you talk about, um, you know, like player rotations and stuff. They're down to like six and a half guys. Now they're playing, you know, Theo John played 10 minutes, I think, against Arkansas, maybe eight minutes against uh, uh, Texas Tech in backing up Mark Williams. So, you know, you got the starting five, and then Trevor Keels is down the sixth man, and he's playing, you know, 20-some minutes, and then that's it. Joey Baker hadn't got off the bench uh, since uh, the Fulton game when they were, you know, blowing him out. And uh, uh, with the long TV, long TV timeouts and the extended halftime, I think a lot of coaches do this, and I'm I'm sure you know Hubert's aware of that. And uh, Hubert was doing it before (laughs) before NCAA. (laughs) That's right. His core guys that that (laughs) starting five is who we trust, and you know Puff Puff Johnson has gotten kind of steady steady minutes off the bench, um, and steady being like more than five, Mm -hmm. but generally not more than like ten fifteen. you know, Dontrez Styles will still get minutes, and he had the big three in overtime against Baylor, which, um, you know, for him to have the confidence to shoot that was just incredible to me. Yeah. And, but but it, it put everything else at ease, and, and it kind of uh, – R.J. Davis, I think, was the one who said, you know, he felt like from that three he knew they were going to win. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of been – uh, amazing that they've been able to just kind of stick <laughs> with the starters. Um, some people have taken to calling them the iron five, uh, which I, I still don't know if that's a thing yet. Like I haven't even used that in a story. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you know, where did this come from? And like, yeah, all is really saying this, but you know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've heard it a little, so I, I guess I'll go with it. It, it definitely makes sense, but um, yeah, it's, it's, obvious whatever happens with Carolina there probably won't be a story of somebody coming off the bench to, <laughs> to spark them to victory right right and they became the iron five in front of the iron dukes at Cameron so that's uh, <laughs> that's when it that's when it turned on go. for, for good right <laughs> and uh, they might run them all the way uh all the way to the championship and because now we're down here final four what a great field what a great final four we have uh with Four programs that 
all have at least three national championships. And yeah, you know, Villanova and Kansas both have three, and uh, Carolina was six, and Duke with five um, in the in the NCAA tournament era. I know Carolina claims one from earlier, but it's uh, six and five. So, um, hey, I got another off off road question here. Sure, let's do it. <laughs> Let's get crazy. <laughs> I feel like I'm the king on these podcasts of, of getting off topic. Is Villanova blue blood in your, your opinion? So I was asked that earlier today, and I think they've risen to that level. I, they I, have three I, championships and they have yes. you know, two out of three. And even and here they are back in the final four again. They made the final four in 2009, I think it was, before they got on this latest surge and started winning. So they yeah. are consistently there. They've. They're a brand. I, somebody, I think it's Rossi and Wellness. They're a Fortune 500 company, right there. Yeah, <laughs> they're a blue they chip are. and a blue blood. So yes, I do think they're they're a new blood and a blue blood. They've yes. they've they've earned a seat at the table. They have a Hall of Fame coach, all that stuff. So I agree wholeheartedly with that. Absolutely. So yeah, that's good stuff for them. Uh, and who knows? Maybe they'll be the 16th ACC team in the future. Maybe right. We can. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> Whenever the time comes that Notre Dame joins for football, we'll, <laughs> right. uh, that's a whole other podcast episode we can talk about. But uh, yeah, it's just going to be great to be in, in the Superdome and see, you know, there's four teams that are all championship pedigree that fans know what's going on. This is a level of play they expect. Uh, great coaches, uh, all that stuff. So good stuff. Yeah. As, <laughs> as Fat Joe says too, as far as these uh, Final Four tickets, yesterday's price is not... Ooh. Today's price. <laughs> as soon as Carolina, you know, submitted that they were going, and, and obviously <laughs> people knew they were going to be playing Duke. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. It's it went nuts. Crazy. It went from like four hundred on average to like eight hundred, like overnight. Like it yeah, I'm, I'm glad we don't have to buy tickets. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's hard enough Sorry. to find a hotel room. But <laughs> sorry to our listeners <laughs> that are out there scouring StubHub, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hope you get in because it's going to be something. And and how do you feel like this this spectacle is going to rank in terms of North Carolina, the state of North Carolina sporting history? I mean, I, I at the risk of recency bias, I don't see anything topping it. Uh, the, the, it's happened so far, and uh, you know, you think about you know pro sports. You know, the Panthers made two Super Bowls. Uh, the Hurricanes, but everybody the, isn't a Panthers fan, so that's right. That's right. <laughs> the Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup in Raleigh, big deal yeah. for the triangle. But I'm thinking people in Charlotte didn't get fired up about it, probably. Exactly, some did, m- many didn't. Uh, and then you've got okay, so big other college events, uh, 1974 NC State and UCLA played in the final four in Greensboro. UCLA was at the yeah. height of their rival or their. Uh, dynasty, right? Yeah, yeah. Double overtime. It's one of the greatest NCAA tournament games, you know. And so, uh, I think that's on the list. But that was only one North Carolina team. That was that was yeah. NC State, and this is the yeah. this is the the ultimate two rivals here, Duke and Carolina. So, yeah, I think it's hard to it's hard to top it. Uh, uh, Luke DeCock mentioned um, uh, the U.S. Open at Pinehurst, the first one when Payne Stewart won and all that. And that became that was a great event and a big a big event, and it became more legendary when, you know, Payne Stewart passed away a few months later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but at the time, I don't think it probably felt as big as what we're talking about here. I don't think anything <laughs> I don't think <laughs> comes close. Like, you know, certainly, uh, I mean, 
I, I was thinking, trying to think of how I felt back in 91 going into that final four, knowing that Carolina and Duke could play potentially for the title. And I don't even feel like that buildup was as big because it still was like, okay, well, both of them still have to win. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I mean, there, <laughs> there certainly was an argument that Duke isn't going to beat UNLV. So, well, that's it, what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, UNLV <laughs> kind of took the air out of the room because they were the big dog. They were the, yeah, they were the Kings, of, you know, of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Although I never sidetrack again. I never understood why, like Duke added Grant Hill. <laughs> like it wasn't the same team that just got blown out. Like Grant Hill, you know, is, <laughs> is uh, under K or really in the history of their program. He's probably top three in my yes. players yes. ever. So yes. Yeah. Like you can't just discount and just think, okay, they got blown out the year before and they stayed the same. Nah, they, they were a different <laughs> team in 91. They were. They didn't know if he was if th- they can make up 30 points, but I guess you really didn't have to. The game starts zero zero. So, you know, yeah, it's a yeah. different game. <laughs> but, but my my thinking yeah. back then was that Duke was the better team. If they would have played, I felt like Duke was a was a, just a notch above Carolina at that time. Coming into Saturday, I feel like they're on even ground. And I wouldn't have even said that probably a month ago. I right. would have said Duke is the better team, you know, they're gonna win. But like, like I do remember you coming into the game at Cameron thinking Carolina was going to win. Yeah. But did you think they were like the, the far, the better team like you do or, or, or the even well, terms? Or? I, th- I thought it was more, it was more circumstantial. You know, it was part of it was the pressure. I felt like the Duke kids were going to feel. And you were right. And, and getting out of their routine, first of all, having all the popping circumstances and, and then feeling like they have to win. And then part of it was Carolina had nothing to lose. They had been beat by 20. Nobody believed they were going to come in and win that game. And I just felt like they had a certain focus about them that, that they were going to, they had something to prove. So, but this game, I feel like, and, and the first two, well, the, that first game in Chapel Hill, I was just like, these are bad matchups for Carolina. Like, yeah. you know, who's going to guard Ben Carroll and, and, you know, and Mark Williams, Baycott has kind of had problems with guys with size. Like, you know, I was just going down the list of this doesn't look like it works out for Carolina. Now it's more like, well, yeah, things might, they might not have the perfect matchup defensively with Duke guys, but it, the flip side is Duke's got to guard Carolina's guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, and there's a different level of confidence that they they have now. Um, certainly with Armando, I mean, he was 10 of 11 in that game in Cameron. And I felt like he also, I talk about using angles in your body. Like I felt like he got into Mark Williams a couple of times and created enough space. Like he, he wasn't just getting his shot blocked when he put it up there. Whereas right. before earlier in the season, and I think back to the Purdue game, certainly Zach Eady is seven, four. So that's, <laughs> that's even different extra, extra. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but Baycott had two points. It was like, he didn't know how to play against them at that time, you know? And so he's, he's definitely in my mind grown uh, against guys, seven footers, um, you know, who have a little bit more size on them. He, I think he knows how to play against them now. And then certainly Brady Manick earlier 
in the season, I still felt like they weren't going to him like they go to him now. Yeah. Uh, if I say Jeremy Roach is low-key MVP for them, Manic is definitely the security blanket for Carolina. So, um, yeah, and then, you know, I still feel like Caleb Love has that Jason Williams, oh, you didn't recruit me or you didn't. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm going to stick it to you. I'm, I'm, yes waiting to see that uh come out you know it definitely did last year not as much this year but i, I think that's still in the back of his mind hey, he's played well in the ncaa tournament he shot you know he's had some games and yeah. uh uh so he's it's, it's there he's showing it now and, and i'm sure he wants to show it against duke on saturday so yeah it's uh it's gonna be something it's just gonna be something i don't know what else to say it's it's, <laughs> it's unlike anything we've ever seen yes. and we've all you know I always thought about, oh, what will it be like? Well, now we're going to see. We're going to see if the state shuts down. (laughs) Rivers start burning or whatever. Uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah. Apocalyptic. I I mentioned it earlier that um, (laughs) in our staff meeting, but, you know, I was covering Louisville back in 2012 when they played Kentucky in, in the final four. And this to me is different from that situation because, Kentucky was, I felt like Kentucky and Carolina were the two best teams clearly in 2012. And that that was really the only championship game that I thought would have been worthwhile. And Louisville was like a surprise final four team. They were, I want to say they were a fifth seed, five seed. Um, You know, they, they probably finished like fifth in the big East that year. I, I don't remember exactly where they finished, but you know, there, there are a lot of things to where it was just like, you know, this was out of the blue Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying they were just happy to be there, but there was a sense that Kentucky should win this game. So it's not, it's not the same as Saturday. Like I don't think either team, either fan base is going in there like, Oh, well that team is better. Like, this is like, this is nail biting. This is, you know, people might, be driving around in their cars because they got too much anxiety to actually <laughs> sit down and watch the game. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, this yeah. is, this is going to be something. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, you know, last time, I mean, in, in the first coming of the first game, uh, there was uncertainty on both sides when they played in Chapel Hill. And then when Duke won by 20, uh, I think all the Duke people thought when they're playing them in Cameron, it would be a repeat or, or you know, yeah. they'd win. They didn't think win by 20, maybe, but they'd win. They they were the, they were the, clearly the better team and they just won the biggie uh, that biggies the ACC regular season <laughs> all that stuff and uh, now that's not the feeling it's they're just just you know weary of uh, of North Carolina it's probably North Carolina's a Duke right now so uh, and then you throw in the whole thing about you know K's last game if they if if Carolina wins they've they have slayed the the beast and you know he's they he's did. done. <laughs> <laughs> Twice. The wicked witch is dead. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, water over there. that's everything. So yeah. that's what's on the line with that. And and do, you know, I think nothing and two people aren't af- are afraid of anything except that. Like that would be yeah. the ultimate. How are we going to recover from this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know so, what, too? I mean, the, the fact that Carolina is here, not not that <laughs> following one of the greatest coaches of all time isn't enough pressure, but it's like I was like, man, John Shire's on the clock already. He's got to go to the Final Four next year. Or he hasn't matched what Huber did, at least. So, yeah, just it. And, you know, everybody thought, oh, what's going to happen to the rivalry when Kay and Roy are gone or Dean or whatever? Well, it's alive and well because here yeah. we 
here we've got it. So anyway, pretty sure well, that won't be a problem. No, that's true. So um, anyway, that that'll do it for this week's edition, the, uh, this early week edition of Final Four, uh, the ACC Now podcast. I'm Steve Wiseman. C.L. Brown has been with me today and uh, chopping up the Duke North Carolina game in the Final Four this weekend. We'll be having another episode from New Orleans uh, later on in the week as we um, make our way down there and get ready for the biggest game uh, that's ever happened in North Carolina sports history. So <laughs> for yeah, C.L. Brown, go ahead. Perfect way to put it. <laughs> Absolutely. So for C.L. Brown, I'm Steve Wiseman. Thanks for joining us.